You know, if there was never pain, there would not be an instruction in the Bible to rejoice and again rejoice. Because everything would just work out exactly the way we wanted it to work out. So there would be no need to say, hey, rejoice and again rejoice. So we were never promised a life with no trials or difficulties, you know, that... That's just silly to think that, you know, becoming a, a Christian or, or a follower of Jesus is a, is, an, is a life with no troubles, no pains. You know, the Bible itself tells us offense is going to come. Troubles are going to come. You know, some are caused by other broken people. Some are caused by your own brokenness. Some are caused by your bad decisions. And some are caused by just the devil who is out to clearly tells us to still kill and destroy and so therefore, you know, we're going to have battles in life. And it says, but rejoice. And then again, I tell you, rejoice. You know, and, and, and so this whole, uh, everything that we see in the Bible, you know, be strong and courageous, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Like all these instructions, fix your thoughts on those things that are good. You know, like all these instructions are there because it isn't always easy and beautiful and joyful and sometimes we will face these kinds of things and loss and pain and disappointment and questions and the Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant about these things and how we do this and so you know so we have to talk about how do we deal with loss and disappointment so that our theology about God and our relationship with him doesn't get damaged when we don't understand something. How many people walk away from the Lord, blame God, get angry at God, and stay angry at Him the rest of their lives because of something they didn't understand, because of a loss or, or a painful situation? And it's not God's will for that to happen. We've seen His goodness so much. We've seen His goodness so much, we, we can't possibly go against that. God is so good. He's always good. And He's only good. But loss is the place where we're faced to live with something most people don't like. We're faced to live with something a lot rather change the theology for, and we're faced to live with something that, you know, some people turn in a different way, and that's mystery. We're faced with live with mystery, and we do not like mystery. We like to know. Don't we? We like to know why. I mean, even little children have that in them, right? Man, isn't that a fun stage when they start asking, why? But why? But why? It's like they're trying to get to the bottom of something, you know. And it's not that the Lord doesn't give us answers. He does give us answers, but sometimes he doesn't. And that's just the truth. Sometimes he doesn't. And the problem, and when we get in trouble, is when we start making them up. Amen. Right? Because there's certain pride or arrogance that starts rising up in us that says, I have to know. I must know. And let me tell you something. The Bible reveals God. It doesn't contain God. Which means that it leads us to all the answers, but it doesn't mean that there's always a clear answer for everything. And it even says it right there. So what we're forced to live with is a level of mystery that is not always going to be pleasant. 
But God does always have an answer, and I want to talk about that answer today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you go with me to, to that, or we could put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture because scripture does have the answers. Sometimes we just don't see them or don't like them. But scripture does have the answers. 1 Corinthians 13:9 it says now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And it's talking about the age that we live in. This this age that we live in where we're in our mortal bodies before eternity before Jesus comes back, okay? It's saying our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, you see this, there's going to be a time of perfection and it's going to come. It's going to be a Kairos moment, a God moment. He says, when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. It's all you have a puzzle, you know, all the puzzle pieces, you know, if you've ever seen one of those crime shows, where, where they're trying to solve the mystery and they have this picture and this picture and this picture and this puzzle and then they're trying to connect and how everything connected with everything and it's like, ah, it's incomplete and it's partial. But when it all is revealed, you don't need that board anymore with all those pieces. You have the whole clear picture put together. So that's what's going to happen one day. That all these partial things are going to become useless because we're going to see the whole picture. When I was a child, I spoke and thought as a, and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. It says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Wouldn't we love to see that right now? But when are we going to see this? Then, when the perfect time comes we will see everything perfect clearly with clarity and that's our hope you know that that that's so amazing of god to tell us in his word that there were going to be things that we wouldn't see perfectly that we wouldn't see clearly but yet his promise to us that one day we will and so in the meantime, we get to walk by faith. But then I will know everything completely. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Isn't that amazing? God knows you completely. He knows your life. He knows you inside out. He knows everything about you completely. God knows you better than you know you. Hmm. In Romans and Galatians and Hebrews and Habakkuk, it tells us that the righteous will live by faith. And who are the righteous? We're the righteous. Right? Remember, we're righteous by what? By faith, not by our own doing. We earned righteousness as a gift when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So we became the righteousness of God. Through Christ Jesus. So we are the righteous. 
And it tells us that the righteous live by faith. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.1. And I'm going to read um, quite, a, quite a few scriptures here from uh, verse 1 through 10. It says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. That's pretty amazing, right? Yeah, some people are more ready than others, huh? Huh? Nobody? And it says, um, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. (laughs) Everybody get up? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God Himself has prepared for us this, and as a guarantee, He has given us His Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. We live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. But then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now this is not talking about salvation. This is talking about our rewards in heaven. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You know What we do here does count for eternity. Our salvation doesn't depend on it, but our rewards do. How we live on this earth whether we do good or evil, has an impact on our rewards on eternity. Amen. So this is just a temporary body. Amen. And we are supposed to live by faith, not by sight. See, living by faith is awesome when there's nothing <laughs> bad happening. I mean, think about it. Right? I live by faith, not by sight. Yeah, that's awesome. But can you live by faith, not by sight, when the sight is not so good? Or do you instantly give up on God and just go rogue, right? Ah, there's no God. There's, you know, it's, it's all fake. Where is God? He left me. It's like, hold on, you're living, if you react to everything that you see and you go down a dark place every time you don't see what you like, then maybe you're not really living by faith. If you get discouraged and give up on God every time you're disappointed about something, maybe you're not really living by faith. 
You're only living by what you can see, hear, taste, smell, feel, by results, by evidence. But faith is the evidence of the things not seen. So are we really living by faith? And it's in the hard, difficult times. God doesn't send them. They just happen. And it's in those hard, difficult times that our faith is tested. And our faith is tested. And the Bible clearly tells us that God does not test anyone. And what could be a test for one might not be a test for another. But it is that faith that is tested. It is those moments that you don't understand, that you're in pain, that you're disappointed, where you've had great loss, that faith is really tested. And part of that faith is resisting the temptation of changing your theology and reducing your, your beliefs and your theology to the level of your experience. Instead of standing firm like it tells us in Ephesians, it says, having done all, stand firm. Stand firm. You know what that word stand means? It means to establish. It means to remain, to gain that space. Stand firm. In other words, we continue to stand on the word of God that remains our ultimate authority that remains the infallible word of God and we stand on that until we continue to see in our lives our experience rise up to the level of the word of God otherwise we'll start a new denomination tomorrow and another one the day after <laughs> and we don't like to do this you know nobody does it's it's not comfortable it's not fun. The disappointment is huge. The pain, the questions are huge. But we are not going to have any of these questions in heaven. We're not going to have any pain in heaven. No tears in heaven. We were talking about worship, I think, the week before, the week, yeah, I think uh, last week. And I was telling you how every day and every time we gather is a unique opportunity we will never have again to worship the Lord with that fragrance. You know, worshiping the Lord is like, um, can you turn on the piano? It, it's, our worship to the Lord is a complex mix of different notes you know sometimes our worship is just that one single note but our life is much more complex than just one thing we're not just one thing there's so many things going on in our lives in your life you know you have um, good things you have so-so things sometimes you have painful things and sometimes you have um, really cheerful things but they all start forming a chord you know and then these chords in harmony you know we we get to offer them to the Lord and then we make you know beautiful worship 
And so each of our lives has a different chord, you know, that is, you know, put together by different notes of what's going on in our lives. And so we all get to offer a different chord. You know, maybe this morning on the way home, on the way to church, it was really hard. Maybe you had a fight. Uh, how am I going to worship the Lord now? I, I had a fight, you know. Your fight sounds not so good. But when you offer it to the Lord, you know, it turns into an offering, a unique offering. Maybe you had a crappy week at work. Like, I'm telling it was just horrendous, right? Well, that's, that's a different chord. Maybe that's a minor one. But it's still a chord that you get to offer the Lord. And it's, you know, and it's a unique time of worship that you will never have again. And so when you're going through loss and you're going to disappointment, you can still offer the Lord that worship because you will never again have that opportunity to give him a worship of that taste, of that fragrance, of that mixture. I mean, we could explain this with cooking, right? There's different ingredients in your worship that day. A little too much lime sometimes. <laughs> but it's still a unique fragrance of worship that we're choosing to present the Lord. And Romans 12.1 says to present ourselves a living sacrifice. This is our reasonable worship to Him. Right, so it's all an opportunity. I didn't want to preach today. I didn't even want to come. I feel like burying my head in a hole sometimes. But I'll never have this opportunity again. Just today. So I need to come to the place where I give up my right to understand. And when I give up my right to understand, it allows the peace that passes understanding to guard me. Philippians chapter 4, let's read verse 4, and then we're going to go 6 through 7. I'm reading out of the NLT. It says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Can you imagine when, uh, when they were in the prison, all shackled up, and they start singing hymns? Can you imagine the, the fragrance of worship? I mean, they knew about this stuff. They're like, hey, have you ever worshipped God and sang in a prison while shackled and beat up? No. Huh. Great opportunity. Let's do it. Right? Can you imagine the offering of worship the Lord received that day? It's amazing. It's unique. And that worship experience just opens up for all kinds of supernatural and heavenly things to invade your life. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. In 
and thank him for all he has done. And here's the promise. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand, or the peace that surpasses understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So here's where we want to arrive. Here's where this question beats us up. The why causes pain. The why is always causing pain. When you're not getting an answer, when you don't have, or when you don't have the answer you, you want or the answer you're looking for, and you continue asking why, it only causes more pain. Why somebody did that? Why somebody didn't do that? Why somebody acted that way? Why they say that? Why, why didn't God do this? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? What does that do? That it gets your mind and your heart unsettled. There is no peace. There's no rest. There's only stories and questions and concerns and torture and torment happening and more pain and more pain and more pain happening. And listen, I'm not telling you not to ask why. I'm not saying don't ask why. Certainly the Lord gives us a lot of answers many times, but it's not always. It's not always. Especially when it comes, you know, in, in regards to healing or loss or disappointments like this. We don't always have those answers. But see, when people are looking for a why, when people are looking for the answer for a why, what they're really looking for is for rest. Listen, what they're really looking for is for peace. What they really want is the, oh, okay, I get it. Right? Think about it. If you had an answer to your biggest why, you are looking forward to getting to that place of, Peace. Is it not true? That's what we're looking for. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, because he knew that right now we only see and know in part and not completely, he said, I'm going to give you something better because you're not always going to get an answer. He said, I'm going to promise you peace. So we're going to skip the understanding, the reasoning, and the explanation. And we're going to jump right into peace that will guard your heart and mind. Peace that will put you at rest. Peace that will remove the stress that is making your body sick. Are you with me? So that's why it says that then peace will guard you. Then peace will be with you. But it's not until you surrender it, it's not until you give it to Him that you can have that peace. And some of you have had questions and whys and things tormenting your mind and your heart for many, many years, for decades. And this message is for you too. That you would surrender it to the Lord. Give up your right to understand. And receive his peace instead in those places. 
the meaning of peace that exceeds understanding is, is um, it's peace that transcends understanding. Peace that rises above understanding. Peace that is superior in rank and authority and in power to understanding. And, and listen, different personalities uh, take this easier and some take this harder because some people are very, very intellectual. And when you're very intellectual, you have a harder time letting it go. Right? And so we have to decide we're going to walk by faith, not by sight. And we have to surrender that. Right? Why is it that my dad prayed for his sister just a few months before? She had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, They took the, you know, they did all the studies. They found the mass and everything. My dad prays for her. Uh, He tells her, you're going to be fine. She goes in the next day, mass is completely gone, disappeared. Why? Because it's in the Word of God. Because we believe, because we pray for the sick. But then, how does it not happen for him? (laughs) See what I'm saying? Like, we could spend the rest of our lives on a continuous search for an answer. Why? Why? You know? And it will only cause more pain. And we'd probably end up with weird theologies and we'd probably end up away from the Lord and we'd probably end up confused and troubled for the rest of our lives making ourselves sick. Start changing our theology. We start blaming people. Oh, it was, it was him. Oh, it was her. Or it was them. Oh, he didn't have enough faith. Or they didn't have enough faith. And, and in the midst of that, you're hurting more people. Oh, it was God. God just needed him up there. We start making up stuff, you know, weird stuff. Stuff that's not in the Bible, stuff that, you know. Because what do we want? We want an explanation to have peace, to feel better. But God promised us peace. He said, listen, this peace is superior to understanding. But only those that are childlike, only those that live by faith and not by sight can receive this. And it takes a surrendering because right before that it says, don't worry, just pray about everything. And praying means letting go. Praying means you put it in His hands. Praying means it's no longer, you're not long, no longer holding on to it. We had a guest speaker here a few months ago. He was saying, you know, casting our cares, you know, giving them to the Lord, but some people cast them as if they were casting it with a fishing pole, (laughs) and they reel them right back in. (laughs) No, 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 it's not supposed to be that way. God never owes us an explanation, although many times he gives us one. 
He doesn't work for us. We work for him. Oh, but he's our father and he's our friend. Yes, but he's first our Lord. That's why so many people have such a hard time living a righteous life. You know? Oh, he's my father. He's my friend. No big deal. Listen, you can only go in friendship as far as you've gone in lordship. He must be your Lord first. Otherwise, your friendship is going to be messed up. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Master. Yes, He's our friend. He's our Father. Go with me to Psalm 23. Mourning is biblical. It's not smart to avoid mourning or grief if you had a loss. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. You know, when we're looking for answers, sometimes these answers don't bring us to peace, actually, when you see it, you know? And I think sometimes the answers would be so complex, we still wouldn't understand. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love, mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we go through these darkest valleys and we mourn and we grieve, but we go through them. We don't stay there. So if you've had loss in your life, if you had disappointments, again, it's not smart to not allow mourning to happen. It's a biblical thing, but you have to remember it's not a place to pitch a tent in, it's a place to walk through. We can't stay there. In Mark 16, we see an example uh, of what happens when you don't mourn the biblical way. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. This is in Mark 16, 10. I'm going to start reading there. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Version. It says, She went and reported it to those who had been with him. Okay, this is... uh, about Jesus' resurrection. As they grieved and wept. So they were grieving and weeping because of the death of Jesus. And when they heard that he was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them as they were walking along the way into the country and they returned to Jerusalem and told the others. But they did not believe them either. 
Afterward, he appeared to the 11 apostles themselves as they, as they reclined in the table, and he reproved and reproached them for their unbelief, their lack of faith, and their hardness of heart. Do you see how sometimes, even when, you, when the answer is staring you right in the face, it doesn't do anything? They were told he is risen. No, no. Sometimes if we even heard the explanation, we still wouldn't be happy. We still wouldn't be okay with it. God knows this. God knows that the very thing that we need is peace. And, it, and what it can do when we mourn the wrong way is that it will cause unbelief. He says he reproved and reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. So when you mourn the wrong way, your heart can get hardened. How many times you've met someone who was never the same after a loss? And not in a good way, in a bad way. Because they fell into unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they had refused to believe those who had seen him and looked at him attentively after he had risen from death. So there's a mourning that leads you to him. And there's one that hardens your heart and leads you away from recognizing him, even if he's staring you right in the face. So how we mourn and how we go through grief has to be with the Holy Spirit. It has to be with him. It has to be with his peace. He is the comforter. He's the one that was left to comfort our hearts. He's the one that was left here on earth to be and live with us, to strengthen us. To give us peace, to guard our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without Him. And if we blame God and we get mad at God, then we're pulling away from Him ourselves. The very one that has the ability to comfort our hearts, give us peace, give us strength, and give us joy, and give us hope again. I don't want my heart to get hardened. I don't want to stop believing. I don't want to stop praying for people. I don't want to stop praying for the sick. We've seen too much. We've tasted and seen that God is good. And when you've tasted and seen, you can't go back. When you've tasted and seen the power of God, you can't go back. You're accountable for that. I'm going to finish with this. If you go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Because the first part is, how do we get back to peace? How do we get out of the torment of the questions? And it's God giving us peace that transcends, that goes beyond, that is superior and more powerful and of higher ranking authority than an explanation. And that's peace. That's the shalom of God. And His shalom brings order where there's chaos. His shalom puts things back how they're supposed to be. And that is supernatural, but he offers that to us. And the second thing is, how does it affect the way we live now? And it says in Hebrews 12.1, I'm going to read out of the Amplified, uh, all the way to verse 3. It says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
who have borne testimony of the truth. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily clings and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith. See, we have a race to continue running. Giving the first incentive of our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous exposure and bitter hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. God does not want us to lose heart. We cannot afford to lose heart. Why? Because we still need to run with patient endurance the race, the course that is set before us. 1 Corinthians 15.55 tells us death has no sting. Death has lost its sting. Oh death, where is your sting? Why has lost its sting? Because we have eternity. We don't mourn like those who mourn without hope, like it tells in Thessalonians. But here's the part that changes how we run our race and that we keep running our race. That we're surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses. Listen to me. If you've had people, if you've had people that you've lost, if you've had great disappointments, if you had those that have gone ahead of you, They are a cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses. And this cloud of witnesses should affect how we live our lives. I know he's watching. Let me tell you. I know my dad is watching. He is in the cloud of witnesses. And you have people in your life, parents, grandparents, that are part of the cloud of witnesses. That have gone from the partial picture to the full, clear picture. Now, if you're wondering, well, doesn't the Bible say they're sleeping? Well, I addressed that a few weeks ago. They're outside of time now. For us, it's like they're sleeping, but to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. So they are in the presence of the Lord because now they're not in time. They're living outside of time. And it's a cloud of witnesses. They get the heavenly perspective clear. And so him and my grandma and my grandpa, and they're watching. They're paying attention. They're cheering on. Right? There's other instances in the Bible where, you know, it also gives us that same idea where, you know, they're, they're watching. There's something going on in heaven that we're not aware of. 
but it gives us glimpses of it in the Word. And so it should affect the way I live my life. It should make it easier to make the right decision. I mean, would you still do everything that you do in secret if you knew your grandma was watching? I don't think so. You should be conscious about this. There's much more that I'll talk about on November 25th, but it's very real. And if you're the righteous, which you are, you should practice more living by faith, by the invisible, by by the things that you do not see, by the things you do not understand, but the things that he tells us. How am I living my life today? Because I have a great cloud of witnesses that is rooting for me. This is my dad's watch. I shouldn't be wearing it. He should be wearing it. But this doesn't go to heaven. So my mom gave it to me. And, um, and I was just thinking about that today, you know. It, it is a great reminder of that cloud of witnesses because it makes me conscious of how I live and spend every chronos moment that I have here on earth. Am I making it count? Am I honoring God and the life of my dad and his legacy with how I'm living my life? 